Hello and welcome to the This Is So Exhausting podcast where we offer an intimate insight from some of the industry's leading experts and how they see the future of the emissions industry developing. I am Tim Chain. And I am George Ade Onojobi. And today we have the privilege of having Miron Toms join us on the pod today. Miron is uh, a veteran industry expert, I could say, uh, having spent some time uh, in many countries working for, for Volvo, for Volvo Penta. He's currently based in uh, in India, where, he, where he's the vice president and head of Volvo Penta. Uh, but of course, uh, his history is international. Uh, he studied in Germany and Poland, uh, studying mechanical engineering and business administration. And through his career at Volvo, he's been in Volvo Penta. He's been involved in lots of different aspects of the business. Uh, he was involved in uh, developing the technology for off-highway emissions regulations, stage 3B and tier 4 interim, and then stage 4, tier 4 final for the company's solutions in Central and East Europe. Um, and at the end of 2012, Miron re- relocated from Sweden to Germany to set up a new office for, uh, for Volvo Penta in Munich as head of the industrial engine segment uh, for Germany and Switzerland. But in his current role, he's based in India, uh, where he is responsible for strengthening the company's ambitions to grow in India uh, uh, and very active in every aspect of, of the, uh, the company's activities in India. So, uh, Miron, great to have you on board. How are you today? Yeah, thank you so much. I'm uh, I'm very honored to be part of this podcast, uh, and I'm very excited about the conversation we will have today. Uh, we are doing absolutely fine here in India, and uh, it is uh, much better developing at the moment uh, than it is in Europe. So we are almost COVID-free here now today. That's really awesome to hear, Miran, because I mean, from the first time I met you, I thought you were a great guy, and I was really excited to have you on the podcast because. We've had some great, honest, great conversations, and hopefully we're going to have some more today. But we'll, we'll segue into the next segment, which is one of my favorite segments of the podcast, is the uh, This Is So Exhausting segment. And for those listening to the, for the first time, it's a fun, fun section where we share things that are exhausting in our recent uh, day-to-day lives. It could be, you know, the hard, the, the pressures of homeschooling, the weather, or or having to learn how to cut your own hair, hair during lockdown. It could be anything you like. So, uh, Miron, what, what's your This Is So Exhausting story? So if I uh, look at 2020, I think everybody can definitely agree on that uh, 2020. We had some time period that was definitely exhausting. And if I look here in India, we had, I would say, the most stringent uh, lockdown across the world. And uh, people are always asking me, but uh, how can it be more stringent than here in Europe or here in North America? And uh, my answer is usually that it came that far that Amazon.com has shut down uh, the operations. Uh, We couldn't order anything that is non-food items, so no light bulbs, no batteries. And uh, that was really one tough cookie. Uh, Then uh, the first week of the lockdown, we had... uh, no milk deliveries, and uh, I was wondering with my family, is this is the right place to be right now? And uh, luckily it got better. But uh, then of course, uh, managing a company with uh, staff spread out uh, in the city, uh, we had different uh, other issues that came up. Uh, We had uh, employees uh, that had no access to water, for example, no fresh water access, and we had to figure out how to do that and how to deal with that. 
And uh, then we had other employees, they had for two weeks the choice between potato and onion. Uh, so it was, that was definitely one of the most exhausting uh, parts of the year. And then luckily, step by step, it went better and better. And you, need, you, you got just to live with being locked up in your house. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, now I know how nice it was with the family in a house. And uh, we had great food at home and uh, it got better. And if you see the positive sides, uh, it was it was exhausting on one hand, but on the other hand, it was uh, also kind of a nice uh, family time. So that was great. It must have been really tough to keep the operations running in that really tight lockdown. But um, I've heard that the lockdown was successful in the sense that India has come through this period probably uh, as strong or stronger than many other countries. And uh, it sounds like things have really been freed up and you're able to, to almost live normally. Yeah, exactly. Point. So the lockdown was definitely necessary. Everybody who has been traveling to India knows that this is really incredible India as the tourist slogan is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we had no uh, PPE kit uh, production. There was no uh, production of masks, for example. And within this strict lockdown, the Indian government has really made uh, sure that everything is up and running after the lockdown. And that was really one really great uh, deal. So uh, we have now today the biggest production of uh, COVID vaccine in the country. Uh, we have PPE kit uh, production. We have the mass production. Everything is working up and running and it's, it has really worked out what the government has planned. And uh, in order to get 1.3 billion people to stay in their houses, they have just said, OK, guys, tomorrow, that's it. You stay in the house. And uh, they have been very strict uh, with uh, the people that came out of the houses. So it, it has worked. And it's really incredible to see that a country of India, the size of India, that they actually could make it happen, that they all wear a mask, uh, that they all stay in their houses and so on, and that the discipline has come. And it, it is really amazing to see that uh, even today, now when it's getting less and less uh, COVID cases, that people have not roomed around that much on vacation, like in Europe, for example, where you had uh, people going on summer holidays and autumn holidays. And then, of course, due to the mixture of people in within Europe, you have, have this spread and the second wave. So uh, luckily in India, people have really stayed uh, domestically and uh, that second wave has just not hit. And uh, we have a few states where they're, it's still tricky, but the Indian government has put up regulations on that even for traveling to and from these locations in order to keep it uh, on a minimum level. But you have today states of India that have 70 million people and the cases are around below 100. Wow. So then you understand how little uh, it is. And the state where we are here in, in Bangalore, it's Karnataka state, we have uh, 64 million people and the cases are less than 500. Mm. That's amazing. That's, That's amazing stunning. to see. Mm. Compared to you know what people classify as you know, more developed countries such as here, India has got, got such a strong handle of things is, is amazing. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, it's crazy. really positively surprising. And it's it's uh, it's a great deal of uh, respect for the leadership of the country. If you think Definitely. about that, you have to manage a ship with 1.3 billion passengers and you have to maneuver it through the COVID wave. So it's it's definitely not an easy task. And uh, of course, many people have said, yeah, but the economy has taken a huge hit. Yes, of course, two weeks, a two month of complete standstill of the economy. I mean, who will not take a hit? But then they have made sure that, uh, you know, they have put a budget up and they have uh, put a real good money into certain segments. And if we look at uh, Volvo in India today, 
we have from the last quarter last year the highest production pace ever since we are in India 20 years ago. Wow. And it is basically the segments where the government is putting in the support to have really like a hockey stick recovery. And uh, you have, of course, there are still segments in India that are struggling like tourism as, as a classical example. But the majority of infrastructure, you know, infrastructure is booming. We have uh, agricultural segment is booming. The mining segment is booming. Uh, automotive uh, two-wheeler. So there is plenty of uh, segments that are really having a, a fast kickback. And the demand is so high that the supplier base is not able to actually produce that much, you know, because you go from standstill uh, last year lockdown to like crank up production. And then suddenly everybody says, come on, guys, we have to go faster because now the demand has picked up so fast uh, that uh, we cannot produce that much. I don't know, Tim, um, your. This is so exhausting story. Um, how can it relate or compare to Tim <laughs> <laughs> I can't compare with not having uh, the right kind of food to eat. That's that's a tough one to compete with. Um, but my my um, this is so exhausting story is 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 a practical thing that I think some of us would have experienced, um, which is I, I, it's it's probably overdue. But I went I took a few days this week to look back at the flights that I booked uh, for the lockdown last year, and you know the airlines just randomly sent you emails or uh, you know, gave you credits or said that they'd refunded the money. But I had four or five different flights booked, like work and holiday flights. Um, and I went through each one and I, I was quite frustrated because I just discovered that, um, well, I, you know, the airlines are struggling, so I can understand they you know, they, they need to look after their own interests. But uh, my frustrating experience was just to find that in some cases the, the money hadn't been refunded or or, or um, the flights that had, the credits that I've been given hadn't been re, hadn't been given to me so I, I sat on uh, on on helplines and, and customer care lines for many hours this week trying to get my money back and uh, <laughs> looking forward to the days when I can get back to just normal booking a flight and flying um, because that's that's a frustrating experience and um, I haven't been on an airplane for at least a year I think probably last February was the last time. So I've got some flights in credits, but I'm hoping I can use those credits because uh, there hasn't been a very clear system of how you can rebook those flights in some cases. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how they manage the the rollback because a lot of people are going to have credits in place and can can everybody use those credits at the certain times? Is it going to be during peak times or non-peak times? You know, the, it's, it's a grey area, but I definitely am looking forward to going on holiday again. Um, oh, big time. <laughs> That's what, that's what got me going. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's what's, definitely what's saved story, a lot. George? Oh, my story. I, I, did, I didn't know I was going to tell a story today, but I can surely think of one. Uh, <laughs> put me on the spot. Um, I think my this is so exhausting story is coming back from Chinese New Year holiday and going back into the exercise routine was painful. Um, <laughs> so before, before Chinese New Year, um, I think last November, I joined the gym. Because when I first came to China in 2010, I was 72 kilograms. Um, and then to, to 2020, I was 92, 93 on a good day. <laughs> on a there good day. A Chinese noodles then. There's a lot of Chinese noodles, a lot of, a lot of rice. A lot. I was having a good time. Um, but I think too much of a good time. And I wanted to get a bit more fitness. So I took up boxing, which is really great. And it's really helped me to 
to get uh, improve my level of fitness but it's also helped me on my feet with agility and things like that it's been really great um but with chinese new year everything shuts down so i have not had not been in the gym for two weeks give or take um and then going back to doing crossfit and boxing last week was painful i'm feeling i'm feeling it now and and as a result i decided to buy a massage gun as well on on taobao which is the chinese version of ebay so we'll see how that goes but that is my that is my this exhausting story but i'm keen to thanks for putting on the spot there tim i do appreciate that um, <laughs> but, but, I'm, but i'm keen to get to to speak to speak to Miran because uh they say your 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 story your profile which tim did read out is quite impressive i must say um but just because we're of course we're living in the time and age where um you know we've got young people coming into the industry we want to encourage young people coming into engineering and emissions and I, I feel like your story could be inspirational so i'm really keen to understand how and why did you get into the engineering or emissions market per se I think uh, the first trigger that brought me into uh, engineering was uh, Lego. So, uh, oh, wow. or let's say bricks. Maybe I should not do product placement here, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, we can write in Danish. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, building stuff has always been and, and working on little things, and uh, that has brought me to uh, engineering. And uh, then uh, at the time when I had to decide about studying, uh, then I felt that mechanical engineering alone is. Uh, is is giving you not the the wide angle of uh, the de development that I would like to do. So then uh, there is a program uh, in German universities which is combining mechanical engineering and uh, economics. And um, you do basically morning with the mechanical engineering students and the afternoon then with the uh, economics uh, students. So it was it was good. It was tough, uh, but. It is definitely rewarding because uh, coming out of this, you have a very good base level for really kickstarting in the industry. And as I have uh, always worked on my own cars when I was a student and before that on my own bicycles uh, when I was uh, not having uh, the driving license, uh, then going into uh, uh, the engine industry, it was, of course, some kind of uh, natural that uh, you go with the big uh, engine manufacturers uh, globally that you, you look at. And then uh, when I started with Volvo, I was fortunate enough to start with a, uh, a leadership program within the Volvo group and you will work in different areas of the company. And the first area that, of course, I could you could choose it yourself. So the first thing that I wanted to work in was the engine factory to build the engines on the, on the line. And uh, then from there on, it got uh, step by step. That was in 2008. Uh, then, you know, the first discussions came up with uh, the new emission regulations on the off-road side. And uh, then, of course, one leads to the other. I was doing uh, the uh, drive cycle testing on different applications for the emission after treatment components. And then you get into that. And then one thing led to the other. And um, I was uh, then working uh, on the stage 3B or tier 4 interim products. And uh, I was going together with the sales teams in the different markets in uh, Southern Europe uh, to explain to them what will happen when there is the shift coming from stage 3A to uh, stage 3B. And then step by step, I got more and more details. And of course, then the next emission regulation was just in front of the door, which was uh, stage uh, four in Europe and uh, tier four final in the North American market. And uh, of course, now we have stage five. So it just went from one to the other. And uh, now we are here where we are. I just maybe 
now, of course, uh, I have shifted a little bit in, in my uh, my career perspective as I now have taken over the uh, country responsibility for, for Volpenta in India. So that is a little bit different. But then uh, we look today, uh, the new emission norms are just in front of the door also here in India. So I, I take this background knowledge and uh, implement it here together with the different teams that are then working together in the country with uh, the customers. But of course, the customer will understand that my background is definitely not in uh, uh, purely management, uh, but on the more on the technical background. And I think when when working for a company that is building technical products, it is very good to have a technical background because everybody you're working with will understand that you actually know what you're talking about. That is number one. And number two is uh, always uh, when people talk about digitalization and so on. I would say that the uh, the base layer of all these, you know, there's no Uber if there's nobody building cars. And there is no Google if there is no product to search for. And there is no um, this Airbnb if nobody builds the house. So it is uh, digitalization is definitely necessary nowadays. And it's good, you know, for the convenience purpose and so on. But the foundation is still something that has to be built because otherwise you cannot use the digitalization. Miron, that's a great, a really great uh, explanation as to how I think someone's interest in a particular area develops over time, and it sounds like you really chased your you know, the, the, the subjects and the, and the work that interested you, and it landed you up in a very, I'd say, a very important position. You know, given that the um, economy of India is developing quickly, but also at a time where we need to look after air quality. Air quality is one of the priorities in India. Of course, it's one of the ways that we can improve the standard of living quite quickly. So, I, I, let, let's move across to some of the issues to do with. The kind of environmental impact of of the of the products you the engines you make and uh, the emissions regulations. Um, lots of our listeners our listeners are in are in the sector, so they're involved in uh, in vehicle or engine manufacturer design uh, or emissions control technology. But uh, India, they might not be so familiar with. So let's talk about India, the Indian context to to some extent. Um, for people that aren't familiar, <clears throat> the the regulators in India have changed some of the names. So they've changed. Barat stage four and Barat stage five, from what I understand, to trim stage four and trim stage five for ag tractors, and then CEV or construction equipment vehicles stage four and five um, for those for that segment. Um, I think trim stage four has an implement has an implementation date or had an implementation date of October 2020, but that was deferred till October this year 2021, um, and April 1st. Uh, for construction equipment vehicles. Um, now, your 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 products, your engines are really focused on the on the off highway segments, and I think in a particular um, power band, you're in a kind of sweet spot uh, around was it 100, 100, 105 megawatts to to 565, I guess, or something something similar. Can you tell us what the regulations? mean for for your products and 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 the technology you think is going to be the most important to meet that that requirement yes so if we look at the indian market uh, i mean uh, eight out of ten most polluted cities in the world are in india which is of course not a benchmark when you want to promote uh, india for tourism as an example and therefore the indian uh, government has a very strong focus on improving uh, the environmental impact in india and um, the first thing uh, is of course uh, that the on-road vehicles they have jumped basically you can say if you compare it with europe it's going from euro 4 to euro 6 straight that is Leapfrog. one point yep. and uh, they call us all 
Bharat stage, Bharat is, uh, is a word for India. So it's a translation, if you translate it, it would be calling India stage. Uh, they are very much aligned with the European uh, regulations uh, when it comes to NOx output, PM output, uh, CO and uh, hydrogen carbonates. So all of that is basically uh, the same levels you can say than Europe. And then they tweak it a little bit for the Indian market uh, when it comes to local uh, registration, local certifications uh, and so on. Uh, and then on the off-road side, I have to say, unfortunately, it's the only country in the world where you have different off-road regulations. So there was a goal uh, to implement in the first step now for BS4, which is this Bharat stage for to have basically only you reduce the number of uh, different regulations and certificates and then in stage five you go to one like in, in North America or in Europe. But unfortunately that was not achieved because uh, there was the COVID uh, crisis and many companies have suffered in, in their cash flow and uh, they didn't have enough time for R&D and so on. So then they have okay drizzled it apart again. So actually today there is uh, you can you can split the emission regulations on the off-road side in mainly two main categories which is fixed speed engines on the power generation side there's something called cbcd which is uh, uh, pollution control board uh, of india which is the uh, uh, fixed speed engine regulation yeah so on gensets yeah. and that is roughly like our stage uh, 3e uh, 3A in Europe or the tier 3 that is in North America that is roughly the same levels that is uh, uh, required here for the genset market for the power generation fixed speed engines and then the second category is of course the one that you have just mentioned which is uh, the all speed engines and there we have basically for each almost each application one emission regulation so you have the trem which is for agricultural you have the CEV which is construction equipment uh, vehicle uh, which is road going, that is also important. Then you have CEM, which is construction equipment uh, for mining. And then the fourth one is basically everything that is not road going and has no emission regulations at all. Wow. And um, the three uh, ones, the CEM, uh, sorry, it's CEMM, construction equipment and mining. And then you have the CEV and the TREM. The, the technology that is required in order to achieve the levels is basically the same as, as the levels are on the European stage uh, four or the North American tier four final levels. And uh, then hopefully in the next step, uh, when we go to the uh, BS5 levels, then we will try it or it will be combined to one. But literally uh, the certification today is uh, there's different certificates for the three. But once you get one certificate with the, your engine uh, portfolio, you will be entitled to put the other two labels also on the engine. So there's only a smaller registration. You don't have to retest in test cells the, the complete equipment. So that is one positive. But the negative is, of course, that uh, from an engine manufacturer point of view, the planning is really difficult because you have mm -hmm. different implementation phases. As you mentioned, there's uh, like eight the timing. Hours timing is there you have april 2021 then you have october 2021 and so on so there's different timings that is one thing uh, that is difficult and the next difficult part is that uh, they don't have the same scheme that is done like in europe where you can have pre-buy or flexibility what they have said is that 
you can sell equipment uh, that is in your stock for six further months. And uh, that makes it a little bit difficult if, you know, if we look at the engine manufacturing point of view, how much do we produce? How many engines will they consume? How many old engines do we need to have in the scope and so on? So that is making the whole process extremely difficult. But definitely jumping from almost zero emissions or stage 3A emissions to stage four is, of course, quantum jump in terms of equipment, because today the majority of the equipment is mechanically controlled with levers and switches and cables, and they have to go to stage four, which means electronic interface, uh, canvas control, uh, the operator has to be trained on that there will be after treatment system. So if we look at uh, ourselves, uh, Volvo Penta, we have decided that we will go in the first step with a SCR solution only. So basically, the operator is used to an engine. Yes, it's a new engine, but it's basically a combustion engine, so nothing new there. Uh, then you have uh, an after-treatment canister that is basically a silencer, so there's also nothing new. And the only new thing for the operator that is using the machine is then to have a look on the dial for the AppBlue that he gets it refilled. And as in India, luckily the BS4 was already on-road with AppBlue, so the AppBlue infrastructure is built up partly on the on-road already. And then you have uh, uh, now in mining operations, you will also have the first uh, AppBlue trucks that operate there, so it gets also remotely available. And then uh, now in the next step, uh, similarly to what was done on the truck, uh, truck manufacturers have sold AppBlue through their service network to, to get the uh, availability up, the similar way uh, the engine manufacturers will do that in India. And uh, that is then uh, how we go in the, in the first step. So do you, uh, just to expand on or to understand your uh, your description, do you see your, do you plan to use uh, SCR only for your whole engine range in Volvo Penta? And by that, do you, do you mean uh, there won't be a need for a DPF um, system alongside? Um, and in that way, I guess it's as simple, as simple as possible given the regulations? Yes, correct. So we have decided that we uh, go without a diesel particulate filter or a DUC also when it comes to installation and complexity. And uh, it is also combined a little bit. There's two aspects of it. One is, of course, the operator that uh, is operating the machine. So he will always look at, you know, how much does that machine cost me? How much downtime do I have? How simple it is to operate? Uh, but then, of course, you have also the other aspect that today we're talking about BS4. In the future, we're talking about BS5, so they need to have that step already in mind today. So we have built our system so modular that all the R&D work is actually done based on BS5 components, but then they leave out the DPF in this whole uh, design concept. And within the same envelope, they have then BS4 and BS5 done because the base engine and the, the base engine mountings are exactly the same across the range then from stage 3A then uh, BS4 and then uh, to the BS5 regulation. That's of course a huge benefit for the operator, uh, for the uh, for the OEM who builds the equipment, because at the end of the day, the the operator doesn't really care about these benefits. So you 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 aiming to make the uh, the the after treatment system as easy for the OEM, your customer to to integrate as possible over the next few steps. Exactly. Um, so this is happening quite soon, though. Like we're looking at uh, you know, the uh, the various steps you've described happening during the course of 2021. I guess there's that six-month phasing period, which gives you some flexibility. Yeah. 
but looking looking ahead to 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 BS5, you know the various um, Wolf Highway, uh, you know Trem and um, CEV5. How do you what's your thinking about that step? Do you think that's a step too far? Do you think it's uh, it's an important step to take, um, given the air quality issues? Uh, and when do you think? Uh, how do you see the timing happening for uh, you know for implementation of that next step, which which then requires much more technology, like you mentioned, it you'd have to add the DPF because of the PN limits and so on. Exactly. I, I would say that um, from an air quality point of view, of course, it's a huge benefit uh, because we are not only taking out a huge amount of NOx, but now uh, we not only reduce the amount of uh, PM weight, but we also reduce the PM numbers, which is basically the, the black layer that you can see here in, in the cities. Uh, that is one very nice side effect. Um, but if from a timing point of view, it is very challenging for the local manufacturers to build equipment, that is definitely there. Uh, as I mentioned before, if you have never worked with electronics before and now you go basically within 2021 to 2025 fully uh, electrically controlled equipment, it's, it's a huge burden on, on most of the R&D departments because they don't even have a function of electrics uh, and electronics. So that is a thing. But I would say that uh, it is a good momentum of the Indian government. Today, uh, they have not announced that they will delay the BS4, uh, the BS5, sorry. And uh, okay. I would say if there's nothing really critically happening, they will just you know put the foot down and say, look guys, uh, we really need to have BS5 for the environment and uh, for the air uh, pollution to be reduced. And therefore we just have to go with it. And, and what, what is the what is the plan timing for BS5? Uh, depending a little bit on the equipment, but starting in 2024, 2025. Yeah. Um, I still hope that it will be clubbed together because I think that is uh, one thing that makes life much easier. If I remember the times when I was in Europe, uh, there's nobody discussing if it's a tractor or a, a harvester or if it is a stone crusher or whatever equipment it is. Uh, that I prefer personally, uh, but uh, of course, different organizations have different uh, opinions about how uh, the timing should be because of the R&D resources and, and restraints. So that I fully understand. But on the other hand, uh, it is possible because we have seen how companies have gone on the automotive side from BS4 straight to BS6. And that was a huge impact, especially on the small engine sizes. Uh, it's implemented, it's working. And uh, fuel quality has improved drastically if we Look in the past from uh, four-digit uh, ppm sulfur content to now two-digit. Uh, that is a big, big improvement. And uh, we can, I would say, in all the big cities, you get 15 ppm and better. In the remote areas, there you will find quality that is less good, but it's, I would say, not in the four-digit range anymore, which is a, a huge benefit. So from that point of view, I think it is definitely possible to go the full nine yards now with the first step, BS4 and then BS5. That, that development of the availability of the ultra-low sulfur diesel is, is an incredible step. Uh, it's really the enabling step because that's what held held us back in India for so long was yeah. not being able to get that low ultra-low sulfur fuel available. But I wanted to ask you one of the other challenges of implementing such advanced technology is, is just supporting you know the aftermarket issue and servicing. How, how do you handle uh, keeping these engines well maintained uh, when they so, have such advanced technology? Yeah. Do you do you have your own network of 
service, uh, you know, uh, a qualified service personnel that, that so, always yeah. service them, or, or are they going to be independent people that have to get trained up to service these engines? And so we have, uh, since we're in India, we have started our journey uh, uh, just more a little bit over 20 years ago. Uh, we have always made sure that uh, the products that we brought to the market are the products that uh, should, at the end of the day, let the operator earn more money with his equipment. So that is our number one priority, uh, that the end customer who buys the equipment with our engine installed or our own Volvo products that he earns more money. And in order to secure that, because of the sophistication level, we have made sure that all the drivers of the buses, trucks, construction equipment are actually trained by Volvo. And all the service technicians that are out in the field are all trained in-house by ourselves here in Bangalore. So we have a big uh, training center here. And uh, if we just take Volvo Penta, we have our independent service network across India. And uh, more than 3,000 service engineers and technicians out in the field have been actually trained by ourselves. So that is one, one key factor that is very important that we have, even though these people are not on our payroll, they have been trained by ourselves. Right, and then right. uh, the product that we actually put out in the market is, uh, yes, it is a European standard uh, sophisticated product, but it is fairly robust. And uh, we have proven in the last 20 years that uh, it is actually also in the field robust. And um, then we have also looked into, if we look at uh, after treatment solutions, now the first step, uh, the SCR system is is very robust. It has also shown in Europe that it's very robust, the same in North America, even in mining conditions. Uh, so it, it has gotten a lot of plus points uh, there. Uh, of course, uh, the operator has to be uh, made sure that he understands that, uh, you know, in the past, if he uses a mechanical controlled equipment and the power is not there, that he knew that there is something mechanically wrong. So he takes a hammer, fixes it and goes back. <laughs> so today, if you have less power, it could be that the electronic system is telling the engine, look guys, I have no blue, I will reduce the power. And that's uh, to let the operator know that guy, you have not refilled uh, the blue tank. So that kind of mindset switch is there and there will be a period of time where the service organization will be called for very minor items because the engine is not performing as they used to. But the learning curve if we look at the Indian society and we look at the jump of digitalization that they have done here, I think the learning curve is extremely fast. And at the end of the day, the operator wants to get his job done. And if he understands to tweak, you know, what do I have to do to get this engine running as long as possible, he will definitely do that. The first step is to have a less uh, difficult system in the, in the field. And that is just if you take an SCR solution only. I think your strategy makes good sense, especially given the the way it's been proven by Volvo, the broader Volvo group globally, uh, to be very reliable over many years. It's it's a it's a good advantage to have. Uh, you mentioned mechanical engines. Uh, I know that your engines are are in the larger category, but in the, in India, the there's a very big market for small engines, small uh, off highway engines for for small tractors and other applications. Exactly. Uh, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen with that? With the, within that category, like in the 19 to 37 kilowatts and 37 to 56 and 56 to whatever it is, the next step. Um, how, how is that category going to survive? Uh, do you think we'll see that, we'll see that category uh, move to electronic controls and after treatment systems? What's next for that for that group of engines? So I would say. Every mechanical engine can be lifted up to the most stringent emission regulations. It's just a matter of how much cost do I want to put into the after treatment system in order to make it happen. 
And uh, if we look at the, uh, the general market in India, as we are just in the phase of getting uh, mechanization to most of the applications in India, mechanization starts not with the 5,000 horsepower plus equipment. It normally starts with the smaller uh, machines. And uh, when we look at these, uh, just as, a, as you mentioned, the tractor business as an example, today all the tractors are mechanical controlled. And let's say if you buy a large tractor, you have a 50 horsepower tractor. If you look in Europe or North America, a large tractor maybe starts at 400 horsepower or you have even 500 plus horsepower tractors. So it's, it's like a tenfold of that. And um, then of course, a small tractor is very price sensitive to added equipment. And then if we look into the regulations, it's very similar to Europe. You have these different categories. And the first category of the small engines will be fine because you can control the after treatment and you can do with minimal changes. You will be quite uh, cost cautious uh, when you launch it. But everything that will be above the 50 horsepower range, the cost jump from taking the mechanical fuel pump off, make it electronical engine with a new fuel system, uh, fuel injection system, and then uh, adding all the components, uh, I think the price point will just be completely out of the window. So my projection is that these 50 plus horsepower tractors will just be disappearing for time being until the next emission legislation comes and the price level has come up as the cost of uh, upgrading them will be so high compared to the smaller horsepower tractors and the larger horsepower tractors that this this will be kind of a niche that maybe will be only covered with imported products but not uh, as a portfolio that is properly in high volume built in India. So you mean that the, the, the requirements that farmers have for, for tractors will be met by very small tractors that are not regulated and the, the the, or, the, less the end, or less regulated, and yes. the, the section captured by the regulation will just be not feasible to be com to be competitive because of the the level of cost. Yeah, because if you yeah. say that, uh, today you get very cheap, uh, let's say a very cheap tractor, you can pay a little bit more money and you get let's say a 50 horsepower tractor. But if the price is so much, the gap is so high that you almost can buy let's say a 140 horsepower tractor, then of course what will the people do? I mean, they will whether they go small or they go big. But in between, they don't see why they should spend so much money if they can almost get a, a large uh, scale tractor for that. I mean, for the Indian standards, large scale. Yeah, I guess it, I, mean, I know it's, it's a slow transition, but it might also accelerate the move towards more efficient, more mechanized farming, bigger mm -hmm. farms where, uh, where, you know, there's more uh, standard, more globally recognized farming practices rather than the tiny farms exactly. we see in India. So if we look at the customer base that we have here. So Volvo Panther is delivering engines to the uh, agricultural segment also here in India. But as you have mentioned before, we start at 105 kilowatt. So the 105 kilowatt or let's say 129 kilowatt is basically below this categorization of uh, emission regulation. So what we have done is, is our engine family in that power node goes up all the way to 175 kilowatt. We have, of course, uh, certified under this family. So we are more stringent with our product on the smaller horsepower range than actually is required. But nevertheless, uh, the, the farming equipment uh, is here in India that we power is, based, is, is for sugarcane harvesting. And uh, these people, they calculate not about the cost of uh, the product and so on. They get paid in how many kilogram of sugarcane I get per hour out of the field and how much cost do I have against it. And then it's basically a math of uh, uptime fuel consumption and uh, you know they are now with of course uh, with with new components coming onto it with the um, SCR system and then blue consumption so that is all patting a, a factor into it but 
we are very successful and this uh, specific company is actually very successful because they are selling it by cost of operation and uh, if we look at the history of india it's normally l1 which is meaning the lowest bidder will get the <laughs> lowest price will get the business and realistically i think all of us know that the thing that is the cheapest on the day of purchase is in five years definitely not the cheapest anymore and uh, People have uh, recognized this, and I'm I'm very pleased to also say that uh, we can see that the Indian government has also changed uh, their views on L1. So they say you have to be L1, but you also have to fulfill certain criteria on total cost of ownership and technical features. And uh, then, of course, uh, you know, people when they start thinking about total cost of ownership, and uh, they think about you know that's you know if you if you take a lifetime of the engine, 93% of that cost is actually going through your tank. And then you have 4% that is going into maintenance and only 3% was the cost of the engine. So let's say you save 5% fuel. You are making a huge difference uh, in the lifetime of uh, operations. Um, and uh, if, if you look then in the Indian context, uh, the, if you compare a modern electronically controlled uh, direct injected diesel engine with an old mechanical controlled engine, that is not well maintained, your fuel consumption gap can be up to 30%, 3-0, you know? When we at Volvo, when we develop a new engine, we are talking about zero point something percentage improvement of fuel consumption, and we are very proud of that. And here, this guy, he's buying a new engine and he gets like one third uh, improvement. So it's, the gaps are huge, and that is the, the biggest uh, difference then. It must be a big education challenge, bit though, because uh, uh, you know the, the traditional, as you said, the traditional thinking in India has been really to save on that upfront cost, the, the initial investment, try and get something as cheap as possible, and not think too long about the total cost of ownership or the the engine efficiency. But with you know with uh, even with the advantages that come with uh, SCR engines and their, their fuel efficiency, I guess you must be having to think about how to explain longer term thinking or uh, total cost of ownership concepts and reliability and uh, you know, the saving on fuel over time over the life of the of the engine. I um, always uh, explain it a little bit like uh, the iPhone, you know, uh, if you try to sell the iPhone with a PowerPoint presentation, it will be extremely difficult because nobody will understand why you should pay three times or four times the amount of money on a mobile phone. And uh, once I give it to you in the hand, then you get the benefits and you really understand what is the, the, the you know, the, what is the differentiator. So that is the same way that we work in India. The majority of the people, they only believe in seeing is believing. You see it in the field operating, you see that the fuel consumption is lower, and then it is basically within that specific segment or within that specific industry, it's like a wildfire of uh, word by mouth. They say, look guys, I have tried this, it's true, I have seen it with my own bare eyes, it is definitely better in fuel consumption. And then it, it this is how it works uh, in India. Uh, it's almost impossible to sell something on paper. Uh, as you mentioned before, if, if, if the people see a sheet of paper that says fuel consumption is X uh, and they say, yeah, nice, good. How much does it cost? Oh, three times the amount. Oh no, then thank you. So that is uh, really the work that uh, we have to do as a premium product uh, manufacturer when you come to a country like India, you really have to prove the point in the field. And we are very confident about our product, so we don't have any hesitation of going into the field. And that is actually how the Volvo Group has uh, succeeded in India, with proving the point in the field. Mm. So speaking about in the field, because as you say, um, Volvo is a premium product. Um, and I guess it also must be quite 
um, motivating to know because it's agriculture is such a strong segment in India. So, you know, more than 60% of India's 1.3 billion people depend on agriculture for their livelihood. Um, that sector only accounts for about 15% of India's economic output. Mm. And these upgrades in technology that we've talked about, they, we, they come around with increases in, in incremental costs, which are passed on to customers. And, and then I think recently, over the past couple of years, there's been some liquidity issues with um, some financial institutions, um, um, which resulted in poor credit availability for end, custom, end, end user customers like leasing companies and rental companies. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you, as an OEM, manage these issues um, at the moment? Like, do you shift, shift, try shift the mindset towards higher productivity in machines, or like, how do you navigate that the the lack of availability in funds, but having such a premium product? So. If we look at the Volvo Group and we, we we separate the products that we are selling to the end customer and the products that we are selling to manufacturers, uh, Volvo Penta, we have only the manufacturer as a customer. So from that point of view, we don't face liquidity issues and they have their ways of selling their equipment. So, But if we look at our own product portfolio, there you can definitely see that we have uh, our own company, Volvo Financial Services, and we have uh, own uh, legal entity here in India that is taking care of that. So it is manageable and um, you need to also see who is the customer. And if you talk about a premium product, then you have a customer most likely that is sophisticated, that has uh, uh, a good understanding of his operation and normally they're financially very sound. And that is of course very supportive if you have then a financial company in the background. And similarly to the equipment manufacturers, if you look at the premium segment, you only target a certain percentage of, of the total market because of uh, you know how is the cost of this equipment of your customer in the field. So if, if I would uh, say that there is a tractor manufacturer that is the cheapest in the market, I can guarantee you he will never even consider a Volvo engine because he wants he's very cost conscious and he wants to be you know benchmark in pricing. So we are working with the companies who see themselves as technology carriers that want to change India and how the Indian uh, manufacturing sites are, when we look at uh, how efficient do we produce, uh, the machinery in the market is not sold on price, it's sold on features and benefits. Uh, So these customers are then our customer base. And uh, I was very surprised that there is actually a large number of manufacturers in India that is unfortunately not known outside of India, but they have sophisticated products that actually could sold, uh, be sold on the world market. And now with the COVID last year and uh, with the Prime Minister of India promoting export and business outside of India, I think this will be also one future part because if you want to be exporting, you need to have the proper engine installed with the proper certification. If you talk about ISO certification and, and so on for, for certain markets in the world. So that is a it's a big potential for India, and uh, I I can I always give an example. We have customers that have KUKA robots in their production line, and hardening their own tooth wheels. And I don't know many manufacturers in Europe that have that kind of uh, you know if if we talk about European sophistication and Indian sophistication, nobody would expect that there's somebody here with KUKA robots hardening their own uh, wheels. So it's very impressive. Looking, looking to, looking to the the, the direction in uh, that the world is taking towards electrification of of machines and and vehicles. Um, 
what's your thinking about how that will happen in India for for your segments that your engines are in? Uh, do you are you involved in electrifying or or, or, or providing or thinking about uh, diesel electric hybrid combinations for uh, for the equipment that you that you are either selling or you supplying uh, powertrain solutions to? Uh, and what what are the next steps in terms of that that kind of technology introduction? So if we look at uh, today. Uh, we have in the off-road, uh, if we look at the off-road segment, we have very limited uh, uh, starting thought principles about electromobility. Uh, number one is that uh, mostly these machines are operating very remotely and the, uh, the network that is available for charging in that certain remote areas is very, let's say, challenging in India. And uh, then, of course, we also always need to look at the sustainability of the complete setup. You know, electricity in India is 75% produced by coal. Uh, the batteries, uh, the raw materials where they're coming from is is on top a very uh, interesting discussion. But uh, if we look at the Indian setup today, the, the biggest challenge is not the technology, it's basically the infrastructure. and. Um, uh, if it is road infrastructure or if it's an uh, electricity uh, infrastructure. And uh, we are, I mean, now with the COVID situation, we have definitely electricity surplus. But if India is running on full steam with the whole economy behind, then uh, the production of energy is scraping on surplus. And that is, of course, always a challenge. And then if you put even more um, if you put even more uh, this, uh, um, what do you call that? If you even put more uh, ballast on the electricity grid, then it is of course even further challenging. So today the electricity and electromobility approaches that you can find in India is basically city buses uh, where they have just done a quick fix engine out. And instead of the engine, you put an electric motor where the engine was the battery pack. But if we look at the total household sustainability of that, it is not supporting uh, the global environment. So we are today supporting the local air pollution with that, but not the global uh, uh, part. And definitely electromobility will be the future. That is not the question. The question is rather how do we store energy environmental friendly on the equipment in a size and weight that is actually feasible for the application. And that is, I think, the, the biggest challenge here. Uh, there have been different approaches on uh, looking at customers of how we can uh, support that. Uh, but I would say today the focus is still on uh, uh, fuel or let's say the combustion engine, because even on fuel on the fuel side, you can still work around and say that you have biodiesel. So you will be still environmentally friendly. Uh, you have uh, methanol that India has quite a bit on uh, under discussion. So there are different areas uh, where we can work around the electromobility topic, but still be looking at sustainability and uh, environmental friendliness. Yeah, I, th I think you point to the, the issue of being practical. Uh, and I suppose with mm. air quality being the, the priority in India, you, you really have to agree that it, re it really makes sense to invest as much uh, more time and, and effort now to improve um, emissions from engines rather than to decarbonize. Uh, frankly, and, and I guess the electricity grid and the power production system needs to be um, 
needs to be uh, improved in terms of its carbon yeah, footprint yeah. before we start electrifying. Otherwise, there's no point in electrifying based on coal-based powers. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. So I guess we're looking further in the future, but it's good to know that these discussions and these thoughts are occurring and the planning is coming. Yeah. And and I think, I should assume, like, like, like everything else, India will benefit from technology developments uh, in some cases uh, elsewhere where, uh, you know, once these electric electrification technologies are more established, they'll be able to be implemented in India uh, with, a, with a few years lag, potentially. Yeah, exactly. And of course, I mean, if we look at Volvo Penta, we don't say that we are delivering diesel engines. We are seeing ourselves as a power solution provider, and uh, we want to do this sustainable. And uh, how this power solution will look like is, of course, depending on the need and the infrastructure and so on. And we will offer always the best surrounding concept for the different applications. And that, I think, is very important to think about. Because uh, as we take an example, if you have a long haul uh, vehicle that requires huge energy storage to go from A to B, then you have to think about does it really make sense to charge uh, the battery every you know so and so distance, or is it better to have a combustion engine that is running on an alternative fuel, for example? Or uh, as now uh, we have uh, signed uh, this joint venture with Daimler on the fuel cells. That is also, of course, if you look at long haul or if you have storage issues with weight and space, you can work on that. But of course, then the next uh, challenge is then if you have the fuel cell is uh, how do you make um, the hydrogen? <laughs> That's right. Let's say sustainable production of, of hydrogen. So, but even that is thought of. So we have this uh, H2 Accelerate company that we have founded um, uh, in order to look into those technologies. So it's it's more like thinking, okay, how, what is, you are the customer, what is your need? What do you want to do with the equipment? And then let's sit together and design the perfect uh, drive line solution or power solution for your uh, application. And well, I was going to ask you if you had any concluding thoughts, final thoughts, uh, before we wrap up our conversation, which has been a great conversation, I must say. Today, very honest. interesting. Uh, very, very interesting. So I was going to ask you if you had any concluding thoughts, but I think you kind of wrapped it up there. But if, if you want to say anything to our listeners, uh, feel free to say a few words if you like. Yeah, I mean, we should go back to the beginning of our conversation. I mean, uh, it's, you know, the exhausting uh, part. And I think I'm really proud to say that uh, since I'm in India, uh, the exhaust emission control that they have implemented here is is really developing in definitely the right direction. And it's really great to see that uh, so many different companies are working hard on getting equipment and uh, vehicles on the road that are actually much, 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 much better in exhaust than what it was in the past. And uh, yeah. I'm very looking forward to to have a greener India on in that sense. Yeah, that's the skeptics would have said this would never have been possible, but to see what's happened is incredible. And I think companies like Volvo, Pensa, and your suppliers and your competitors have done a, an amazing job to improve the lives of of, of people who live um, in India, which is something to be proud of. Yeah, India is India's a great a great country, which we've all been to for many years now. Um, and it, you know, advancing from BS4 to BS6 in some places, in some countries in the world, everybody thought it was crazy. But if, if India made it happen, and it's really, exactly. it's really exciting to see yeah. the the future of of India. But yeah, again, Miran, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a privilege and an honor to have you in our presence, even though it's over Teams or Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> in three countries from different parts of the world. Indeed. That's been really, really good to talk and quite exciting to think ahead to what you've got planned in the future. We look forward to hearing more about how it's going, uh, you know, at some points when we talk again. Thank you.
Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much again for having me. And uh, I very much appreciate the discussions. Uh, it's it's a really interesting and it's, of course, always great to meet again, even though this time it's a little bigger distance than we normally sit together. Indeed. And I hope, hopefully we can, I can visit your plant again when I come back. 100%. That invitation is still open and uh, you're ready to uh, take it on. For sure, for sure. Well, thanks for listening to the This Is So Exhausting podcast today. Please don't forget to like, subscribe or follow, depending on how you are listening to us uh, today. Uh, we did have questions from listeners, but Moran is such a fantastic guest. He answered pretty much all those questions in terms of the plans for India's production and um, supply chain strategies and different uh, regulations uh, standards so that's fantastic um, but more importantly please keep us in, uh, keep sending us those questions and those messages you'd like to to hear from our guests um, but yeah again thanks very much for being such a great uh, community and hopefully look forward to seeing and hearing from you very soon thanks